Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. Does a man have teeth the size of axe blades? Or ears like terrible tombstones? By tampering with nature, forcing vegetables to swell far beyond their natural size, we have brought a terrible judgment upon ourselves. mental. And for our sins, a hideous creature has been sent to punish us all. Repent! Repent! Lest you too taste the wrath of the wild rabbit! Vegetable show. We live for that competition. You know, We're simple folk. You know, it's all we have. Who will save us? <laughs> Where, rabbit? Oh, come, come now. I do believe the vicar's been at the communion wine again. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 196, Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And welcome to Verbal Diorama, welcome back if you've been listening to this Wallace and Gromit retrospective or welcome back if you've listened to any previous episode of this podcast. But if this is your first ever episode of Verbal Diorama, welcome. To you, brand new listeners of this podcast, I'm so grateful and happy to have you here because I am currently going through the history and legacy of the entirety of Weiss and Gromit, but specifically today, the history and legacy of The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, which is obviously currently the first and only feature-length adventure for Wallace and Gromit. But honestly, I'm just so happy that you're here for being here, for choosing to listen to this podcast, because 
This is a very special episode. In fact, all of the episodes this week have been very special episodes because this podcast is now four years old, officially. I released the very first episode of Verbal Diorama on the 16th of February, 2019. That episode was on a movie called Titan AE, which if you've not seen it, it's available on Disney+. Plus. It is a wonderful little animated movie from the year 2000. And if you'd have asked me then if I was still doing a podcast four years later, I probably would have said, nope. <laughs> Honestly, it's been an absolute dream to do this podcast, to do these episodes for you, the listeners, every week. And sometimes, like this week, five in a week, which is a little bit crazy, I grant you. But it's something that I really, really wanted to do. And it made so much sense to do Wallace and Gromit. So you are getting a gift this week for the fourth anniversary of this podcast. On Monday, you got a grand day out. Tuesday, you got the wrong trousers. Yesterday, you got a close shave. Today, you're getting the curse of the were-rabbit. And tomorrow, for the final episode of this little mini-season that I'm doing on Wallace and Gromit, it's obviously going to be a matter of loaf and death. This episode as well is the 11th episode of Animation Season 2023. It follows The Nightmare Before Christmas, Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest, Inside Out, South Park, Bigger, Longer and Uncut, The Emperor's New Groove, Perfect Bloom, The Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists, A Grand Day Out, The Wrong Trousers and A Close Shave. And obviously, huge thank you if you've listened to all or any of those episodes. I love doing animation season. It's something that I do every year. And I love to do it because I like to basically dispel the myths surrounding animation. Now, I'm not an animation podcast, but I do cover a lot of animation because I love it so much. The first myth that I like to dispel is that animation is purely just for kids. It's not purely just for kids. I love animation just as much as my nephews love animation. Animation is universal. It's for everyone. Of course, there are some animated movies out there. A great example being Perfect Blue. Another great example being South Park Bigger, Longer and Uncut. That are not really for children, but they are animated. That's because animation can be of any genre. Animation is not a genre, despite what the streaming services might tell you. And that's kind of the second myth that I like to dispel. So I like to do animation season to try and persuade people, I guess, those two little factoids. I don't know whether I'm succeeding, but I like to do it anyway. And one of the reasons I wanted to do Wallace and Gromit was because Wallace and Gromit is so stitched into the fabric of British everyday life. They are icons of not only the British film industry, but the film industry full stop. Because I would wager that pretty much everyone knows who these characters are. They are as ubiquitous as The Simpsons, as Mickey Mouse. To me, anyway, I guess maybe that's just the view of a British person. They are revered all across the world, but they are so very British. And after a grand day out and the wrong trousers and a close shave, it was finally time for Wallace and Gromit to hit the big screen. But it was a little bit of a bumpy ride. So let's jump straight into the history and legacy. Oh, you see what I did there? Jump, haha, <laughs> like a rabbit, jump. Jump into the history and legacy of Wallace and Gromit. And we're gonna start with the trailer for the curse of the were-rabbit. They've mesmerized audiences 
They've delighted millions. Job well done, lad. <laughs> Wallace and Gromit in their first full-length motion picture. Gromit, old pal, I'll need assistance. The gardens of England are in danger. This is a disaster. I have the most terrible rabbit problem. From a terror so fierce. Well, they must be breeding like, well, rabbits. It will petrify your parsnips. If you ask me, this was arson. Curdle your carrots. Arson? Aye, someone arsing around. <laughs> and chill you to the marrow. Mercy! Our only hope is Wallace and Gromit. How on earth would they ever catch such a big rabbit? With a big trap. Jove, he's, he's gossip. Wallace and Gromit, curse of the were-rabbit. Hey, give over. Ingenious, cheese-loving inventor Wallace and Gromit, his loyal sidekick, are the proud co-founders of Antipesto, a humane pest control agency. Those two stand between the townspeople's succulent vegetables and the hungry swarms of wicked bunnies roaming the land. However, with Lady Tottington's annual giant vegetable competition just around the corner, vague rumours of a nightmarish creature raiding vegetable patches throughout the countryside chill the bone to the marrow. Now the intrepid duo must put their expertise to good use to save the day. Can they catch the beast before trigger-happy Victor Quartermain and his vicious bulldog Philip? Will Wallace and Gromit stop the monster and lift the curse of the were-rabbit? Let's run through the cast because this is the biggest cast of any of the Wallace and Gromit movies so far. We started off with just Peter Salis as the sole voice in the earlier shorts. But now we have a proper full cast to this movie. We have obviously Peter Salis returning as Wallace, Ray Fiennes as Lord Victor Quartermain, Helena Bonham Carter as Lady Campanula Tottington, Peter Kay as Police Constable Albert McIntosh, Nicholas Smith as Reverend Clement Hedges, Dickon Ashworth as Mr Mulch, and Liz Smith as Mrs Mulch. Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit was written by Steve Box, Nick Park, Mark Burton and Bob Baker and was directed by Nick Park and Steve Box. And I mentioned in the previous episode that after the release of The Wrong Trousers, Disney executives got in touch with Aardman. Now, no one knows the content of their conversation because it's never actually been made public, but it can be presumed maybe the idea of a partnership could have been floated in those conversations. And it was clearly something on Aardman's mind, as after the release of A Close Shave, it's self-used as a test run for a potential feature-length adventure for Wallace and Gromit, Hollywood did indeed come calling, but not for Wallace and Gromit initially. Aardman's debut feature-length movie, Chicken Run, had already been in pre-production for a year when DreamWorks and Pathé announced that their companies were joining together to co-finance and distribute the movie. Aardman and DreamWorks agreed to a $250 million deal on the 27th of October 1999 to produce four further movies over the course of the next 12 years. And the third film in that deal would be a Wallace and Gromit feature-length adventure. 
This movie was announced in March 2000, a few months before Chicken Run premiered. And at the time, no one knew Chicken Run would become such a huge hit. I do have an episode on Chicken Run, obviously. That is episode 78. You should definitely listen to that episode. There is a lot of the backstory between Aardman and DreamWorks and the history of what happened in the production on Chicken Run in that episode. So, as I said, Wallace and Gromit was going to be the third movie in the deal. Now, you might be thinking, well, the first was Chicken Run, and if the third was Wallace and Gromit, then what happened to the second? So, let me tell you. The second film in the deal was The Tortoise and the Hare, based on the Aesop fable. And The Tortoise and the Hare, it had reached a stage where it had a cast, it had a script, had a budget and a story reel. But there were problems with The Tortoise and the Hare. And Jeffrey Katzenberg of DreamWorks would question the core narrative. Where's the conflict or tension between the tortoise and the hare? Regardless of who wins the race. Basically, $5 million would be spent on the tortoise and the hare, including trying to retool the movie into something that would work. By early 2002, the tortoise and the hare was postponed indefinitely and eventually scrapped. And this also led to the laying off of 90 staff at Aardman. It was a dark time for the studio and it was the first time an Aardman project had been cancelled. But it also meant that Wallace and Gromit could essentially leapfrog into primary position for the studio. And it was given a title as well at this point, The Great Vegetable Plot. And it was described as a vegetarian horror film. While this was all being hashed out, Aardman's animators found themselves with no work due to the cancellation of The Tortoise and the Hare. And this was where the online shorts, Wallace and Gromit's cracking contraptions, came into play, with the animators given the ability to make their own one to three minute shorts. And this was used essentially as a training program for the teams to prepare to make what was going to become the great vegetable plot. Wallace and Gromit's cracking contraptions premiered online on the BBC website and Atom Films in October 2002, and were especially popular in Japan. And the production of Wallace and Gromit obviously did get cracking eventually. Nick Park would enlist his previous writing partner, Bob Baker, to write the feature-length Wallace and Gromit adventure. And as with the previous shorts, horror would be a main focus of the script, with inspiration from classic hammer horror, universal horror, as well as homages to the likes of Jaws and King Kong. But this was obviously going to be a family-friendly movie. And it's important that the were-rabbit himself was scary enough to frighten the townsfolk, but cute and fluffy enough not to scare anyone watching. But the real horror was going on behind the scenes, as the culture between Aardman, very British, and DreamWorks, very not British, clashed. This was especially noticeable on Chicken Run, where DreamWorks executives led by Jeffrey Katzenberg simply didn't understand why Aardman needed to make Chicken Run in Bristol. Katzenberg would make impromptu visits to Aardman to check up on the process. He would voice his opinions loudly and immediately. There was no British stiff upper lip. Katzenberg wanted arguments and conflict discussions, but the Aardman team, they just wanted to get on with it. Additionally, DreamWorks had been bolstered by the success of Shrek, which came out in 2001, and they wanted more hits like Shrek. Wallace and Gromit, though, they were not Shrek and the project couldn't be turned around as quickly as a CG animated movie could be, and this frustrated Jeffrey Katzenberg. Nevertheless, after Chicken Run, the partnership continued, and Nick Park and Peter Lord would pitch their Wallace and Gromit film to Jeffrey Katzenberg for two hours. And while the head of DreamWorks wasn't particularly happy that the second film in their deal 
had been effectively cancelled and he'd have to wait several years for this Wallace and Gromit film, he was happy to give the green light to the Wallace and Gromit movie as long as Aardman also worked on the fourth planned movie in the deal, which would be flushed away, a movie that DreamWorks would end up insisting was CG animated. And just to add insult to injury, there were more problems with the DreamWorks deal because the deal as it stood would give all the rights to the characters to DreamWorks and with three previous shorts behind them, Aardman were not willing to give up the rights to the pre-existing characters of Wallace and Gromit. The characters from Chicken Run were created for that movie. But Wallace and Gromit were existing characters, they had their own stories, and they fully belonged to Aardman. Aardman didn't want to lose the rights to Wallace and Gromit, nor the right to take the characters and use them elsewhere. So Aardman would insist on an update to the deal with DreamWorks, and a very different deal to the one that they'd originally signed for Chicken Run, presumably because no one had really given much thought as to what would happen if DreamWorks agreed to a very British Wallace and Gromit movie. DreamWorks pushed back on the deal originally, but acquiesced with conditions. Notably, the Aardman were not allowed to work with anyone else on Wallace and Gromit before the Wallace and Gromit movie was released. Aardman realised that they held the cards with this, because they owned the characters and they could take them away from DreamWorks and they could make a movie with someone else. After all, they'd had a very good relationship with the BBC for many years and making a movie with the BBC was a definite possibility. Jeffrey Katzenberg would eventually agree to their terms, but not without causing damage to an already precarious relationship by this point. But good for Aardman for sticking up for what was theirs. There were definite benefits to this relationship with DreamWorks, because the financial investment had given Aardman the financial security to move forwards to feature-length filmmaking. But it had come at a cost in that Aardman was being constantly questioned by DreamWorks about their decisions. The question arose that if they were making a feature-length Wallace and Gromit movie, why did they need to keep Peter Salis? DreamWorks wanted Salis replaced with a more well-known name, but Aardman refused. The compromise was a supporting cast of huge stars like Ray Fiennes and Helena Bonham Carter, Peter Salis, in a weird coincidence, appeared in a 1961 Hammer horror film called The Curse of the Werewolf. Jeffrey Katzenberg would question the quirky British humour and the old antiqueness of Wallace and Gromit. It's anachronistic and ambiguous time period, but Nick Park argued it was part of the charm of the characters. Despite the issues, a script was completed, an animation would start in 2003 with an 18-month filming schedule, which consisted of 25 to 30 animators, a crew of up to 300 shooting 25 different sets, 2.8 tonnes of plasticine in 42 colours, and a thousand baby wipes per week to wipe off animators' fingers. There were 43 different versions of Gromit, 35 versions of Wallace, 16 Victor Quartermains, and 15 Lady Tottingtons, as well as 20 differently shaped mouths. Nick Park would go on record in an interview with The Guardian in 2014 about how it was a struggle to keep things as they wanted. DreamWorks questioned everything about this movie. Wallace's old rusty Austin A35, why couldn't he have a cool pickup truck? It's because, Jeffrey, we don't have pickup trucks in the UK, or at least not as many as you do in the US. Pickup trucks are not really a thing, especially in rural Britain. The title of the film, which was originally, as I said, Wallace and Gromit, The Great Vegetable Plot, was put out by DreamWorks for market research. And unsurprisingly, it came back that audiences didn't like the mention of vegetables. Nick Park told the Radio Times, quote, 
There is a language barrier that often happens with humour. Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, was going to be called The Great Vegetable Plot, but market research didn't like it. The verdict was that vegetables are a negative with kids. But of course, that's why it's good and works. It's elevating vegetables. That's how Wallace and Gromit works. It was elevating the uncool and mundane to something big in Hollywood. That's the irony, unquote. Dave Alex Riddit would return as director of photography along with Tristan Oliver, and they wanted to capitalise on the hammer horror with fog, full moons, monster POV shots, monster shadows, and the other stylistic tropes of classic horror without losing any of Wallace and Gromit's trademark slapstick. It was imperative that across multiple sets that consistency was maintained, especially with lighting and camera setups. One of the benefits of the DreamWorks deal was access to new equipment, and this reduced any technical issues from occurring. CG was used, including shooting foreground action against a green screen. Blue screens couldn't be used due to the foreground being filtered with blue moonlight. But the in-camera tricks were based on those they'd learned from the wrong trousers and a close shave. The movie contains a considerable amount of CG of all kinds, from drifting fog through to the bunny rabbits in the bun vac. In all, there are over 700 shots that contain some kind of digital effects work. But this, being Aardman, practical effects were key. And while previous antagonists were made of plasticine, the were-rabbit was the first villain who wasn't. He had the same metal armature underneath, which was captured and modelled for his various poses, his walking and his running. But what sets the were-rabbit apart is the fact that he's a were-rabbit, obviously, but also that he was the first Aardman character to have fur. And fur poses an interesting problem for stop motion because you don't want it to be obvious that you've touched the model in each frame. Sean the Sheep being wool wasn't so much of an issue because wool is springy and it returns to form, but fur doesn't. So how do you animate fur in stop motion? The first trick was the actual fur itself. Ardman found they couldn't use regular fur because there was no stretch in the fabric. And this also didn't work for a stop motion puppet. An American company was enlisted that provided four-way stretch fur fabric. The second trick was creating a system by which you could plug handles into the back of the puppet to move the armature however you needed without actually having to touch the fur in any way. The team had hoped to just build one were-rabbit, but they soon realised they needed different were-rabbits for different scenarios, most notably a running were-rabbit, whose armature moved in a specific way for bounding through fields attached to a rig. The were-rabbit himself also had multiple heads, including one for smiling and two for howling, and a fully posable head that could show a range of emotions. His eyes would keep falling out due to not having the plasticine to attach to, so the were-rabbit's eyes ended up being attached by magnets. The were-rabbit transformation scene, which is the money shot of the movie. How do you show a plasticine Wallace transform into a furry were-rabbit? The leg transformation alone took a year to finish, and while CG was used to help, the majority of the shots are practical effects, including the growing foot, which was a scaled-up plasticine foot, which could be lengthened and transformed into the furry foot with the help of CG. The shirt busting open was done with a mechanical device pushing into the were-rabbit fur from behind to show it expanding through the chest, and then the buttons of the shirt were added with CG. The CG even extended to photorealistic plasticine, complete with fingerprints and ripple effects for the menagerie of bunnies in the film, most of which were rendered with CG rather than created from scratch. But this movie really is a perfect homage to those classic horror movies without 
being too scary for small children. And I purposely haven't done an obligatory Keanu reference, a proper one, in any of the other episodes that I've done, but I wanted to do one here. So, I'm going to now segue into the obligatory Keanu reference for this episode. And what that means is, that's a part of the podcast where I link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. And it's always a little bit difficult with Keanu and animation. And the other ones that I've thought of for the rest of the Wallace and Gromit episodes were genuinely thought of completely off the cuff as I was recording. But I have actually planned this one. I have given it some thought. And what I thought about was talking about those classic horror, talking about the classic universal monsters. The easiest way to link Keanu to this movie is by way of Dracula, because Keanu starred in Bram Stoker's Dracula, previous episode of this podcast. Dracula worked alongside the Wolfman in another previous episode of this podcast, The Monster Squad. And the Wolfman is a werewolf, possibly related to a were-rabbit in some way, like via the moon. I don't know how anything were works, but that's the link. It took me, I don't know, about two minutes to think of that. It was very taxing for my brain. And to be honest, I have used the Dracula link several times in the past, but I thought it was really cool to link it to the Wolfman and then link it to Monster Squad and then link the Wolfman to Werewolf and then Werewolf to Were-Rabbit. It makes sense to me. One of the things that I've loved about doing these Wallace and Gromit episodes is basically charting the story of Aardman through Wallace and Gromit and how Aardman had worked with these characters, but really how Nick Park started with this university project. And basically for that project, he enlisted the help of a friend to do the music. And that man, Julian Knott, is still doing the music for The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. So he returned to compose the music but the music was also produced by Hans Zimmer, who's obviously one of the biggest composers in cinema. And that must be a pretty cool experience to be Julian Knott, to start off with a grand day out, to work all the way through, and then to work with Hans Zimmer on The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. And sometimes I think to myself, if I was Aardman, if I was working at Aardman throughout this period of time, I would just pinch myself at just how far they'd all come with regards to these characters and the story and the history and legacy of these characters. So The Curse of the Were-Rabbit premiered on the 4th of September 2005 in Sydney, Australia. It was released in the UK, Hong Kong and the US on the 14th of October 2005. It would open at number one at the US box office, it would stay there for one week and it would be number one in the world for three weeks. On a $30 million budget, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit would gross $56.1 million in the US, $138 million internationally, for a total worldwide gross of $194.1 million. It remains the second highest grossing stop-motion animated movie of all time behind Chicken Run. That is not bad for a little animation studio from Bristol to have the first and second highest grossing stop-motion animated movies of all time. And Curse of the Were-Rabbit did incredibly well in the box office here in the UK, as it would. They are British institutions. It also did very well in Europe and also other foreign markets as well. But unfortunately, DreamWorks wasn't particularly happy with the reception in the United States. They partially attributed this to the fact that Aardman and Nick Park in particular refused to make any concessions for American viewers such as casting a major Hollywood name for the voice of Wallace. 
Nick Park explicitly refused to alter the Wallace and Gromit formula or its distinctly British weird sense of humour in any significant way. Because from his point of view, there was no need to change what viewers loved. The short films were good enough to win Academy Awards, after all. And while The Curse of the Were-Rabbit was certainly not a flop by any stretch of the imagination on its US release, DreamWorks expected a blockbuster. They expected a Shrek. And they didn't get a Shrek. And this, along with the poor performance of Flushed Away, would lead to DreamWorks terminating the multi-picture deal with Ardman early. Following the split, Ardman kept complete control of the characters of Wallace and Gromit and of this movie in particular, while DreamWorks Animation kept perpetual rights to the film's global release, with the exception of the UK television rights and ancillary markets. This has notably led to the Blu-ray of this movie being available in the US, but not in the UK. You can get a triple pack Blu-ray of Chicken Run, Were Rabbit and Flushed Away, but you cannot get a Blu-ray of Wallace and Gromit in the Curse of the Were Rabbit in the UK. It does not exist. Ardman confirmed shortly after the contract's expiration that they will be moving forward with another Wallace and Gromit project, which was eventually revealed to be a return to BBC One and to their previous short films with a matter of loaf and death. I'm going to be coming to that next episode. Not only did The Curse of the Were-Rabbit win the Best Animated Feature Film at the 78th Academy Awards, it beat out Hell's Moving Castle and Corpse Bride, both previous episodes of this podcast, by the way. It would also win 10 Annie Awards from 13 nominations, Best British Film at the 59th BAFTAs and numerous other awards. Unfortunately, 2005 was a very mixed year for Ardman because although this movie came out and it was a hugely successful movie for them, on the 10th of October 2005, a catastrophic fire at a storage facility used by Ardman in Bristol destroyed over 30 years' worth of props, models and scenery. And these were historic models. So although it didn't interfere with the current production of anything at the time, and nor did it affect the library of completed films because they were stored in another location, everything else was pretty much destroyed. And the cause of the fire was found to be an electrical issue. Nick Park would say, quote, even though it is a precious and nostalgic collection and valuable to the company, in light of other tragedies, today isn't a big deal, unquote. And that was in reference to the earthquake that happened in Kashmir in 2005. And rather ironically as well, that fire happened on the 10th of October 2005. The Curse of the Were-Rabbit would release only four days later in the UK. So it was definitely a week of the highest highs and the lowest lows for Ardman. Looking back at the history of Ardman, the history of their deal with DreamWorks, and especially the history of the difficult production of Chicken Run, it's not surprising that there was a culture clash between DreamWorks and Ardman. The signs were clearly there during Chicken Run's production, but despite the behind-the-scenes drama, in front of the camera is a clear trajectory of Ardman's rise to power. From a grand day out through to the Curse of the Were-Rabbit, you can see them growing evolving, honing their skills, giving us more of everything, more characters, more of the town, more locations. And The Curse of the Were-Rabbit is a true testament to Ardman's British sensibilities. There are so many wonderful sight gags and the comedy is never at the expense of the plot. It's an affectionate parody of classic horror that also succeeds at being a classic horror. With the traditional dry sense of humour you'd expect, 
as well as spending the $30 million budget wisely on a mix of traditional stop motion and CG, with the result being a total justification of five years of meticulous work. It goes without saying as well that the CG on this movie is so perfectly done that you cannot tell really where the CG starts and the stop motion ends. It's that good. It's a real shame that Ardman's partnership with DreamWorks went sour, actually. And as I said in the episode on the Pirates and an Adventure with Scientists, it's an even bigger shame that their partnership with Sony Animation also faltered, because there was such promise there. DreamWorks wanted something that Ardman just didn't do. They wanted a studio that would bend over backwards to their demands, and I'm so glad that Ardman stuck to their guns and didn't sell out. Wallace and Gromit are too important, too British, too substantial, too much part of the fabric of our society. And because of it, we never got another feature-length Wallace and Gromit adventure. Not yet, at least. And instead, the pair returned to the BBC for their fourth short film, A Matter of Loaf and Death. That one is coming up next. And I hope that you'll return tomorrow for the final episode of this little five-episode collection on Wallace and Gromit for A Matter of Loaf and Death. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. And thank you so much for your support over the last four years. As I said, it doesn't matter whether you're a long-term listener, whether you're a brand new listener, genuinely so grateful for everything that you've given me for the last four years. This podcast is such a joy. It's one of my favourite things to do, clearly, because I do it every week. But I'm always so humbled and so touched by people's comments about how much they enjoy listening to this podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed listening to this episode. And I would be so grateful if you could get involved and you could help this podcast grow. You can do that by leaving a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. You can retweet a like post on social media. I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Letterboxd, Hive, Mastodon and Post. Or the easiest thing you can do is you can tell your friends and family, especially if they love Wallace and Gromit, because... Well, I've done four episodes. I'm going to be doing five. So five episodes on Wallace and Gromit for free for your nearest and dearest. That is the perfect gift, is it not? Now, normally at this point, I would recommend other episodes, but I'm not going to. I'm also not doing comments on this episode either, because to be honest, I've literally done five episodes for a whole week. So I really haven't had the time to do other stuff, but normal episodes will resume next week but I do want to give a quick shout out to the patrons of this podcast because they have supported me pretty much since day one a lot of them and not just monetarily either by you know emotional support and stuff like that and I'm so grateful to them they have helped this podcast grow with new equipment and new software and so I have to give them a little shout out because they're great otherwise I'm just gonna say bye and I hope that you'll join me tomorrow for the final episode of this adventure with Wallace and Gromit. And finally... Lovely food. Or rabbits, that is. Right on cue. That's right. I'm the Uncle Victor. Oh, 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 oh.
need more gold bullets. They don't hunt sheep, you know.